Something happens for me, actually, and I don't know why, but it's happening a lot lately. I, I, I spend my week and I get this message to give, and I think, man, yeah, I'm, that's, that's going to be a good one. I can't wait to hear that. Um, and then Sunday morning, I get out of bed, and then I just feel like, you know, maybe God had, maybe I wrote that just for me. Maybe just I had to get something out of that, so nobody else gets to hear that. Um, I don't claim to be a prophet. Okay, I've never claimed to be a prophet. I've, I've, God has used me in that way at times, but I certainly don't claim... I'm not a loss by any means, I'd imagine. Um, but I'm not necessarily a prophet. Every now and then I feel like God speaks to me and he gives me something that I think is broader than just me. And It's a big picture thought, a big picture perspective on, on things. And probably at about 7.45 this morning, I suddenly had this thought pop into my head and I was on the computer I quickly started punching out some notes and I'm just going to open my mouth and follow the note trail and hope that by the end of it we end up somewhere Uh, because I just feel like I have to I just want to start with a a story that I found too actually it's a bit funny it was taken from a Florida newspaper it goes like this. It says, A man was working on his motorcycle on his patio and his wife was in the house in the kitchen. The man was racing the engine on the motorcycle and somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear. The man still holding the handlebars was dragged through a glass patio door and the motorcycle dumped onto the floor inside the house. The wife, hearing the crash, ran into the dining room, found her husband lying on the floor, cut and bleeding. The motorcycle lying next to him on the, and the patio door shattered. The wife ran to the phone, summoned an ambulance. Because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife went down several flights of long steps to the street to direct the paramedics to her husband up on the patio. After the ambulance arrived and transported the husband to the hospital, the wife uprighted the motorcycle, pushed it outside. Seeing that gas had spilled onto the floor, the wife obtained some paper towels, blotted up the gasoline and threw the towels in the toilet. The husband was treated at the hospital, was released to come home. After arriving home, he looked at the shattered patio door and the damage done to his motorcycle. He became despondent, went into the bathroom, sat on the toilet and smoked a cigarette. After finishing the cigarette, he flipped it between his legs into the toilet bowl while still seated. The wife who was in the kitchen heard a loud explosion and her husband screaming. She ran into the bathroom and found her husband lying on the floor. He'd been blown through the shower doors, his trousers had been blown away, and he was suffering burns on the buttocks, back of his legs and groin area. The wife again ran to the phone and called for the ambulance. The same ambulance crew was dispatched and the wife met them at the street. The paramedics loaded the husband on the stretcher and began carrying him onto the street. When they were going down the stairs to the street, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked the wife how the husband had burned himself. She told them and the paramedics laughed so hard, one of them tipped the stretcher, they dumped the husband out, he fell down the remaining steps and broke his arm. (laughs) Now, that's a bad day in anybody's books. Uh, I read that and I thought, wow, that's, that's... that's hard to top when you've had a day like that. I, you call that a bad day. You, call it, you look at it from any angle you want, that's a bad day. It made me think of Peter in the New Testament. And the Bible records a particularly bad day also for Peter. And if you turn with me to Mark chapter 8, I want to walk you through a couple of little passages here. And show you why this is such a bad day. If we start Mark chapter 8, 
verse 27. I haven't got my new living here. I'm reading from the New King James today. And it says this. It says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, others one of the prophets. He says to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one else. If you go to Matthew and you read Matthew's account, Matthew adds a little bit to this story. He says that when Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, in Matthew 16, Jesus makes this statement. He said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you've just received a really great revelation from the Father. You've received revelation from God himself. I couldn't make you see who I am, no matter how many miracles I did, no matter how great I was uh, at my oratory speeches, I couldn't get you to see who I am without a revelation from heaven. That's the only way that you can see who I really am is by a revelation from heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. I take a lot of comfort in that, especially being a, a, a parent. Because I think with your kids, you, know, you want kids to know God the way that you do. But you know what? You can only do so much. At the end of the day, I can't take the veil off their eyes and help them see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. I can't help. I've got friends and family. I badly want them to be saved. I pray for them. I'll be the best witness I can and so on. At the end of the day, though, unless they have a revelation from heaven, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light, the gospel of the glory of Christ, to his image of God. So we do the best we can as a witness. We try to create an environment where God can come and by revelation peel the blinders off and they see Jesus as not just a historical figure, but as the son of the living God. So I can imagine Peter at this point, the disciples say, you're a prophet, you're this, you're that, John the ba- Elijah, whatever. And Peter goes, you're the Christ. And Jesus in front of him goes, Peter, you have received a revelation from the Father. I can imagine Peter sitting there going, feeling pretty good. Other 11 boys, did you see that? You didn't get it. You said John the Baptist. You said Elijah. I nailed it. Nailed it. That's a good day. It's a good feeling. I'm sure he was feeling really, really good. It's like you're sitting at school and the teacher asks a question. And you know what? We sit there and we all know the answer. It, it happens in, in, in meetings, even at, the, at our age. We know the answer, but we sit there and nobody. And then one person says it. And we all sort of maybe thought it, but one person gets it. And then you're like, oh, gee, I wish I had been the first one to say that, you know. I don't know who else got it, but Peter got it. And Jesus says, you've received this revelation from heaven. It's a good day. It's a good moment. Peter's feeling okay. Now watch what happens the very next passage. (laughs) And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, in verse 31, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Maybe Peter got a little overconfident with this revelation. I'm on the money here. I'm getting it. Jesus, what you're saying? Come over here. I need to tell you something. You know? And all of a sudden, Peter's now rebuking the one who is the Messiah, the son of the living God. What a change. I don't know what happened. Did Peter get overconfident? Did he get cocky? I don't know what happened. All I know is one minute, he's got this revelation from the Father. He's, Jesus is saying, well done, mate, you got this. Going, yeah. The next minute, he's pulling God aside and rebuking God. 
He spoke this word openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he turned around and he looked at the other 11, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What a bad day. You're going from the heights. You've got this revelation of who he is. And in the very next breath, the one whom said, well done, you've got this revelation, he's now calling you the devil. Wow. You know, from you know that old saying, from the penthouse to the outhouse. He's gone from as high as he probably could to being called the devil himself in front of the other 11. I don't know what was going on. I don't know the emotions, whether it was arrogance, confidence. I don't know the lesson being taught here. But, but what I do know is this. Jesus pulls him aside and says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So we know the problem. We know what Jesus took issue with here. It was the fact that Peter was coming from a place where he was looking at what was best for men and not what was really God. You see, we don't understand discipleship these days like they did. People followed people back in the day. There were disciples of this person, disciples of that person, just followers. But they literally followed them. They would sit under their tutelage and their teaching. And they understood something about discipleship, and it's this, that the disciple was going to have to go the same way as the master. That's what a disciple was. And so Peter was happy to follow Jesus when everything was good. And here's the thing. A lot of people are happy to follow Jesus when following Jesus aligns with who I am, what I want, and where I want to be. We love to follow Jesus. Who doesn't want a Messiah who'll save you from eternal damnation, who can forgive your sins, give you peace, give you eternal life, but not challenge who you are, not challenge what you want, and not challenge where you want to be. Who wouldn't want that? See, up to this point, the book of Mark's a really exciting book. The way Mark, Mark just catches from the, from the very beginning of the book, it's action. It's healings. It's miracles. It's deliverance. It's demonic manifestation. It's God winning. It's kingdom coming. And you know what? I think Peter was loving that. Maybe Peter was really, really happy following Jesus. And then there came a point where all of a sudden Jesus made this statement. He drew a line in the sand. He said, if you're going to follow me, he said, your faith has to impact your lifestyle. Well, hang on a second. We love following. I'm following you, Jesus. And all these great, wonderful things. Now what you're saying is that if I'm going to follow you, that my faith has to have an impact on my lifestyle. In other words, I can't just, it's not just about what I want, where I want to be, who I want to be. It's, this faith thing is now going to have an impact because here's, the way Peter, here's what Peter heard. When Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to suffer, be crucified and die, Peter heard this, as a disciple, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be crucified because I'm going to go the same way as the Master. If this is going to happen to you, Jesus, then that means it's probably going to happen to us as your followers. Because disciples are followers. And if that's the way the master's going, it's no different today. People follow Tony Robbins, the, the, you know, the, the self-help guru. No problem with Tony Robbins, by the way. I've got no problem with it. 
But people follow these guys, they get their books, they go to their seminars. Why? Because they want to be like these people. We see these people that are successful in life, making money, doing things, and you know, and so we, we follow them. And the whole idea is we're following because we think they're going to take us to where they are. Well, that's what Peter thought. Hang on a second. You're telling me that you're walking to a cross? Here we were thinking still in their brains. They're still thinking he's going to be some kind of military leader. They still think up to this point he's going to pick up a sword, gather an army and overthrow the Romans. That's what they're thinking. They're looking at the Messiah, thinking the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to be just like King David. In the Old Testament, a military leader who's going to lead us out of the oppression of the Romans. And Jesus, in one statement, dashes that and says, no, that's not what it's about. I'm not going to do that. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is of another world. Up until that point, they were happy to follow But I don't know if Peter realised or was too overly happy with the fact that this following means that the faith I'm building has to impact and change my life. I don't want to change my lifestyle. I want to keep following. This is fun. I want to keep going down this path. And Jesus says, well, I'm happy for you to do that, but you need to realise at some point what you believe and how you live your life, your lifestyle is going to have to be impacted. They're going to dissect at some point. And it's going to be uncomfortable probably. And it's going to be difficult. And there may be struggle involved. And there may be hurt. And there may be pain. There may be resistance. Think about the cross. See, when we think about the cross now, we think about this little symbol of hope. To us, the cross is a symbol of hope, of forgiveness, of eternal life. When Jesus said, take up your cross, he goes on, he says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What do you think they thought of when they thought of a cross? They thought of a cruel form of execution. No one was wearing cross necklaces back then with little Jesuses on them. The cross was an instrument of torture for bad people. The cross was an implement of shame. You were stripped naked and dragged a wooden frame through town with people spitting and mocking. That's, all of a sudden, all these images of, of, in Peter's head of, well, we're the popular ones. We're going around with the, the, the Jesus and the heels. And the, we're, we're the popular ones. That, Jesus is saying that popularity is going to end. There's going to come a time where it's going to change. And it won't be so cool to follow me. And then he says, but unless, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Yourself's going to want acceptance. Yourself's going to want satisfaction. Yourself's going to want all these things. Yourself's going to want to fit in. Yourself's going to want to still be one of the boys. But he says, at some point, you've got to deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me, knowing that what you believe in your lifestyle will dissect. At some point, it's got a cross. You see, belief without impact in your life is just a fantasy. Belief without impact is pure fantasy. We sit here and we say, we believe this, we believe this, we believe this. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you your beliefs by your lifestyle and you'll tell me what I really believe by my life too. More so than any word that comes out of my mouth. That's just a reality. Okay? It's just a reality. And here's what Peter's been confronted with. Here's what Jesus is saying at this point. It says that he rebukes Peter. He says, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're still thinking about what's best for men. You're still thinking about this world. You're still thinking about what's best for you in particular, Peter. 
You don't want to follow that path. You don't, you don't want me taking you there. You want me to keep being the Tony Robbins of the day. But guess what? If you're going to follow me at some point, here's what he says. It says then in verse 34, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples. I love the way Mark puts this. He says he called the people to himself and the disciples. There's no separation. I know people who think that, you know, the, the, the real hardcore following of Jesus, that's just for people in full-time ministry. Well, that's just for the, 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 the priests. Or that's just for the, the apostles. Or, no, it's not. Jesus calls them. He says he calls the people to himself with his disciples and he makes a blanket statement and he says, it doesn't matter who you are. He says, whoever, whoever desires to come after me, whoever, I don't care who you are, whether you think you're the elite, whether you think you're down here, whether others put you on a pedestal, whether you put others on, so I don't care. I'm making a blanket statement to every one of you people that have been following me to this point. I'm going to say something to you right now. He says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, that whole concept of self-denial is a bit of an abstract one, and I've seen so many weird versions of it, you know? Self-denial, you know, back in the day, people used to self-flagellate. They'd whip themselves, because that was self-denial of the flesh. And, you know, I read a story about one guy who stood on top of a pole for 20 years or something, a monk, just to prove to God that he was denying himself. And all these weird things, you know, sleeping on beds of nails, you know? You go back and look at history, how people have interpreted this whole idea of self-denial. Weird things out there. But, you know, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. When I look at what he's saying, pick up your cross, the cross had an element. There was a recognition of that thing, that symbol meant something to the broader society. And it wasn't good. It brought people carrying crosses, brought them shame. It brought them uh, contempt from the broader society. And Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, to these disciples, there's going to come a point where it won't be popular anymore. As a matter of fact, it's going to become downright unpopular. But it's still the right thing to do. And if you're going to follow me, you need to know that up front. There's going to come a point where people won't put up with me anymore. Right now, I mean, I'm getting around. Religious leaders are coming at me, but I'm keeping them at bay. The devil's coming, I'm keeping him at bay. People are flocking to me because they want to hear me. They want to be healed. They want to be set free, all this stuff. I wonder how many people in the crowd that day who called out, crucify, 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 had heard Jesus at some point and thought, this is amazing. wonder if any of them had been healed by him. wonder if any of them had been set free by him. Because you can have all those things happen, but as soon as it becomes unpopular, it's amazing how we can walk away. It's just not popular. It's too hard now. The church landscape is littered with people who at one point were blessed by God. Something happened. They, 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 the moment, maybe their life was transformed by something and then it just got too hard or too socially unacceptable to be a Christian or they got embarrassed about their faith or whatever and now they walk away from that. They don't want to take a stand. Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, you're going to have to at some point make the hard decision. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. In other words, he says, it's not about talking the talk. It's going to be about walking the walk. And the walk's not always going to be good. Can you handle it? Something happened in our country this week. There was a vote. Now, I'm a big believer that, that nations get the leadership that they want. You go back to King, Saul, uh, King Saul's appointment in uh, 1 Samuel. 
Samuel, a prophet, a man of God. For lack of a better analogy, God himself was leading the people through the vehicle of a prophet. And they said, we don't want this anymore. And they actually said to Samuel, give us a king like the nations around us. The focus was the other nations. We want a king like them. No other nations led by a, a person who's hearing from God. We want like them, military leaders with chariots and swords and armies to go and fight into battle. And God said, this is not a good idea. Here's what's going to happen. He even told them, you know what Saul's going to do? He's going to rape and pillage your families, your vineyards. He's going to do this. The king you get is going to do all this. And they still said, we don't care. We want that king. In the end, God said, no worries, Samuel. We will give them the leadership one. And I believe that's a principle, always has been. I believe nations get the leadership that they want. And in this case, we got a particular leadership in our nation who decided to have a vote and put it back to the people. And regardless of, of ins and outs, I don't want to get talking about conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, the people of this nation said, we want to vote yes to same-sex marriage. We're saying it's Okay. For two men to get married, we think it's okay for two women to get married. It's a decision that was made by a majority of the people that voted in this nation. What's interesting is Wednesday night at Touch Football, I was down there, I'm a president of Balnatas, and I walked upstairs at the beginning of the day and one of the guys there, he's not a believer, was brought up in an Anglican church, but very wild sort of guy, older than me, works for Bell the council. He's blowing up. And I asked one of the guys, what is he going on about? And he was blowing up over the yes vote. Not a Christian. But he, he, he came out and he's saying to everybody, I voted no, do you vote yes? Are you a yes voter? He's getting in their faces and he's really passionate about it. Really passionate about it. He made a statement to me because he knows I'm a pastor. He said, don't worry, Alan. He said, you know what this is going to do? He said, this is going to push people back to our Christian values. He said, this decision is going to push some people, it's going to push some people back to Christian values. And I thought about that, and I haven't been able to get that thought out of my head, that there's going to be a section of society that he said will be pushed back towards Christian values. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that, it, that they will bow their knees and become Christians, but he just made the general statement that there are, there are people that are for this and against this, and this decision is going to cause a greater division between those two camps. This morning when I, was, I woke up and I was, I was getting ready for today, this is the verse that God uh, really laid on my heart. John chapter 3. And I'll, I'll finish up with this. John chapter 3, 16. We all know John 3, 16. What, read, watch this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me tell you something. Eternal life began for you the moment you bowed your knee to Jesus. Eternal life didn't start when you die. The Bible makes that clear. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God. We know, we know Jesus. Eternal life began. Okay, And on the, on the flip side, for everybody that knows the core, the, 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 the death, burial, resurrection, everyone has understanding of that and has decided not to respond to that, has responded to that. And that's what he's saying. You're already condemned. doesn't mean you can't get out of that. You've still got a window of opportunity in this life to get out of that, but right now you stand in a place. 
Just as we as believers, we stand in a place right now because of the decision that we have made. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. People who are living evil lives, anti-Christian lives, anti-biblical lifestyles, don't like light. They like darkness. Why? Because their deeds are more akin to that side of life than this side of life. In verse 20, it says this, For everyone practicing evil hates the light, watch this, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. Those two phrases jumped out at me this morning. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. He who does the truth comes to the light. What I felt like God said is there's going to come, and it's already started, but probably this issue has been so dominant in the papers and in our faces that probably it's arrested us like it's come out of nowhere. It hasn't. You go back the last 20 years, slowly little bits and pieces have been legislated and coming in slowly, slowly, slowly to get us to this point where we're now seriously looking at changing the constitution. But it says this, those who love darkness, let's imagine that this is light. It says those who love darkness are hitting here. They're getting away from light. It says they're, they're going away from it. Those who love light are walking in this direction. Which means now there's becoming a bigger gap in the middle. There used to be this grey kind of area, I guess, where we could all just coexist and cohabitate. It's shifting. It's starting to shift. It has been for a while. But this one decision has drawn a really clear line in the sand where those who are heading towards light are going here. Those who don't want anything to do with light, they're heading over here. And there's becoming a space in the middle. A gap if you like. A little bit like Jesus was saying to Peter, saying, you know, right now there's this coexistent area where believers and non-believers, we're all excited about me. We're all happy. We're happy to have me as a part of the framework of our society right now. But there's going to come a time where there's going to be a big separation. And you're going to have to pick and choose. You're going to have to choose. Your lifestyle is going to make a clear statement. Now, unfortunately for Peter, he still didn't make the right choice, did he? You know him, no, I don't. You know him, no, I don't. You know him, no, I don't. And the rooster crowed. That was the point where Peter ran away, did self-reflection and so on. But I believe we're in a moment right now where it's starting to split. And you know what? I believe Jesus' words are ringing for the church now. Now it's real. Unless you deny yourself, Take up your cross and follow me. You won't be my follower. Let me finish with a couple of questions for you that I've written down here. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? It's amazing how passionate some people are on this issue. I know a person who was a dear close friend of ours, still really close to my wife, used to be a a, a youth pastor. Decided that um, she didn't want that lifestyle anymore and is is now um, in a a same-sex relationship, being a youth pastor. Got on Facebook recently and just 
put a post up and said, if you're voting no, you're no friend of mine anymore. Wow, just because I don't agree with you. See, this gap. This gap. Are you prepared to lose friends? Because as time goes on, you're going to have to make lifestyle decisions and choices. Are you prepared to lose friends? Here, this is what Jesus is saying. Unless you deny yourself. See, self doesn't want to. Myself doesn't want to be unpopular. I don't want to you know, be, look uncool. I don't want to not fit in. And the only way that's going to happen is if I choose to deny myself and take up my cross and go, well, are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from family? I don't want to put a downer on the service, but hey, it happens. It happens. What about family members thinking you're kooky or you're too weird or you're too out there or whatever? Because you don't want to sit there in that conversation and compromise and let them think that you're okay with something. You just feel like, no, I don't agree with that. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Yeah, you know, a lot of us spend our whole life trying to build a good reputation. Nothing wrong with that. We want a good reputation. It's amazing how uh, one stance in life and that whole reputation shot. All of a sudden, people don't want to speak to you. I've got a mate of mine, an, an old Scottish guy, that when I was in Dan Murphy's and I have Mondays off, I'd go to the Rouse Tavern in Balna at lunchtime, I'd get a plate of chips and I'd get the newspaper there and I'd just read the paper. Cut a long story short, started hanging out with this guy. Every Monday we'd chat, we'd laugh and so on. You know, he, 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 he uh, was, was great mates with me. Just recently I went down there for a meeting with some friends and he walked past and he said, oh, I haven't seen you dance for a while. I said, man, I haven't been working there. I already told him this, but it must have gone in one ear out the other. I said, no, no. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor. While we're standing there in front of all these people, he starts abusing me. I thought you were sensible, Alan. It's like all of a sudden, all these years of great relationship we had, hadn't spoken to me since. Why? Because of one thing. Because I lined myself up with Jesus in an area and said, you know, I gave up that and this is what I'm doing. And straight away, bang, relationship gone like that. I didn't even have a chance to talk to him again and restore it. He's not interested. Are we prepared for that kind of reaction from people? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? I'm not saying go out there and offend people and lose your job, but I'm saying we are entering a time, it'll, it'll come, where to remain in places of employment, you're going to have to compromise on your values and your beliefs. So you're prepared to lose employment for the sake of going, no, the darkness is heading that way, I'm heading this way. Are we prepared for that? Because the time will come. The time will come where they won't put up with people who think differently. We've already seen little bits and pieces there. How many, you know, people are afraid to put up on Facebook page and say, I voted no. Why? Because we've heard stories of people losing employment. Why? Just because they said, I'm going to vote no. It's been in the papers, been on current affair. Just because you said no. What's going on here? You know? It's this divide. It's taken up a cross and going, you know what? It's starting to cost us now. We haven't paid. In the West, we don't really know what it means to pay a price for our faith. We've been blessed of God for a long, long time. And I'm not saying we're not blessed still. I'm just saying that society's moving in such a way that the darkness and the light are separating. And are we prepared? Are we going to continue to follow Jesus, deny our, our desire to be, have a reputation, desire, deny our desire to, to have dollars or whatever if it means compromising on what I believe? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? Now, I hope and pray that nobody in this room gets put in that position. But I know people who have been put in that position. And I know there are people in other countries right now who are doing that every single day. They could keep their life if they would just look their oppressor in the eye and say, I denounce Jesus Christ. 
They won't do it. I feel like God is calling. I just had this sense this morning of the voice of God saying, unless you, if you, anyone who desires to follow me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. I haven't called you on that yet. That's what I feel like God's saying to the Western church. I haven't really called you on that yet. But get ready. Get ready. Because the time's coming. The time's coming. I don't want... I hate ending church services on heavies like that, but I just felt this morning, I had something else there, but I just woke up with this sense of God saying, you know what, we need to hear this now so we're prepared down the track for things that may and may not happen in a month, a year, two years, ten years. Maybe we'll make it through. Maybe it'll be our kids who will really feel the next heavy brunt of this. I don't know. But if we're going to follow Christ, we've got to realise that denying all those passions and those desires, there will come a point where a line will be drawn in the centre. We'll have to pick a side. And the light will go this way. And the darkness will go this way. And the two will get further and further and further and further apart. It'll become much more obvious to tell who's really following Jesus and who's just really loves hanging around the crew. Who's just walking around him because of all the good things they get out of him. And who's still standing beside him while he's hanging on that cross. Even back in the day, there was a lot of people following him and all of a sudden, as it got serious, you read the account in scripture, people dropped off, dropped off, dropped off, dropped off till he stood there nailed to a cross with a small group of people. Some in that, some in that group weren't even the 12 that said, we'll die for you, Jesus. You know? doesn't matter what we say. doesn't matter what we declare. God hasn't got us here to give the world a statement of faith. He's put us here to show the world a lifestyle of faith. Amen? Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, God, we pray for our nation. Lord, I, I thank you, God, that, uh, Father, what I guess on the surface, on the one hand, is an atrocity and a terrible thing. And if we focus on that, God, it, it, it can feel that what's going on here, Lord, we're losing. But Father, on the other hand, I see there's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for the church to stand up. A wonderful opportunity for us to put a line in the sand. God, to maybe get rid of that idea that, that we just coexist in this grey space together. But for us to maybe go, you know what, here's a chance for the witness of the church to stand up once again, just like it did in the book of Acts, when following you was illegal and it cost something. And so, Lord, but, but the incredible thing is that, that that's, that's where we read and the, and the Lord added daily those who are being saved. And the number of disciples multiplied. God, we read that action in the midst of a time where the church and the world, there was a separation, there was a light over here, a dark over there. And it was a bunch of people that were prepared, even if it cost them their life, to stand for the values of the kingdom. And so, Lord, if I, we look at it that way, it's, we're coming into a season of great opportunity. And I thank you for that, God. And I pray that we would embrace this season of opportunity, God. Not only us as a fellowship here, but God broadly as a church. I pray we would embrace this season of opportunity that you have given to us, Lord. We'd see it as a chance to shine light because God, light shines brightest in the darkness. But the darkness cannot overcome the light, God. And we thank you for that, Father. God, I pray for each of us today as we go about the rest of our day. Be with us. Bless us, God. I pray you watch over us. And I pray in the next week, God, give us an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with somebody who does not yet know you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. God bless you all. Um, race off, do what you've got to do. If you're making it to the farm by 1.30, uh, we've got an address somewhere? Address is up on the screen right now. Three, two, one. Boom, there it is. 798 Lismore, Korokai Road. Left-hand side. Somebody's going to be waiting probably up near the gate. It's a big farm, so even if I've got to park my car there, you'll see my little white car there. 1.30, grab some boots, grab some salad, have some lunch, and we'll pray.